There came a time when the old podcast died. Then there was new lights. Hello and welcome to WMQ Presents Motherbox Memories. An exploration of Jack Kirby's Fourth World. Starring me, Dan Grope, the Tiger Force at the core of all things. And me, Matt Lazowitz, the revelationist happy with the sweeping sound of words. Matt, tell the people what we're doing this week. Today we start the next of our pilot projects in the WMQ Presents brand. This one is a deep dive into Jack Kirby's original Fourth World comics. Each episode will focus on at least one issue of the saga the King created when he came over to DC Comics. The saga of the great cosmic war between the good gods of New Genesis and their evil counterparts on Apocalypse. We'll summarize the issue and discuss how it fits into the greater tale Kirby was crafting and look at the mad genius of what he was up to. And to kick things off, we're starting with a foundational tale in the history of the New Gods. Issue number seven, The Pact. Written and drawn and damn near everything else by Jack the King Kirby and inked by Mike Royer. What happens in this issue, Matt? You want the long version or the short version? Let's try the short version. Two dads trade babies for peace. Never mind, I think I want the longer version. On the peaceful world of New Genesis, Isaiah the Inheritor, this big bear-like guy with a rad beard, and his wife, Avia, are spending their time in a field, chatting and flirting and trying to not think about the war and those jerks on Apocalypse, when a war party from Apocalypse, led by the Queen's brother Steppenwolf, attacks them for reasons. Isaiah is holding his own, first against Steppenwolf and then against Steppenwolf's men, when Steppenwolf decides to pull an Indiana Jones and just shoot him. But sadly for her... Uh, Avia distracts Steppenwolf, and she is shot instead. She dies, and before Isaiah can retaliate, he is zapped with killing gloves by Steppenwolf's nephew, Darkseid. Uh, even Steppenwolf is suspicious of Darkseid, as this whole raiding party was his idea, and uh, he happened to have these gloves designed by Darkseid's good friend Desaad, the torturer, uh, known more for making people suffer than to kill them outright. Uh, but he just gets grumpy, and they fly off. And so the Cold War between New Genesis and Apocalypse becomes a hot one. We see a battle scene where warriors of New Genesis fly a de-energizing bomb onto Apocalypse and drop it into one of the fire pits that power the planet, shutting it down. The elite of Apocalypse are down in the royal bunker while the fighting continues on the planet, uh, having a feast with Queen Hegra at the head of the table, listening to Steppenwolf and Darkseid snipe at each other, when Darkseid reveals the key to their victory, the X-Element an element that can seemingly disappear and reappear at will. Uh, Darkseid muses about how it would be great to find someone who can harness this for Apocalypse when Metron just kind of cramers into the room, hot for that sweet, sweet teleporting rock. Uh, he agrees to use it to create teleporting tech for Apocalypse if he can have some help building his Mobius chair, uh, and then wanders off. Uh, Hagra thinks this is great that Darkseid played Metron, not really thinking about the fact that he's clearly up to even more no good than usual. Now, with boom tube tech at their disposal, the tide of the war turns in favor of Apocalypse. We see Apocalyptan dragon tanks appearing on New Genesis, where even the destructive poles of the New Genesis soldiers can't stop them. And I can't stop what the names Kirby has for all this crazy tech. It's so beautifully mad. Kirby tech is rad. Uh, the next battle is led again by Steppenwolf as he and his men ride war dogs and he wields his electro axe. Uh, he specifically mentions that Darkseid yielded this command to him uh, and somehow he didn't deduce that it was a trap. Uh, Steppenwolf, great in battle, not so great in the thinking department. 
the battle lines of New Genesis lets Steppenwolf through, and who's waiting for him? But Isaiah the Inheritor! Yep, he wasn't dead after all, and he really wants his revenge against Steppenwolf. They battle, and Isaiah kills Steppenwolf pretty handily. Don't, don't worry, uh, Kirby forgot he was dead, and he gets better. Uh, then Metron shows up, and he and Isaiah have a heart-to-heart about how much this sucks and how Darkseid is the real big bad when techno-cosmic war begins. This means basically Apocalypse and New Genesis start hucking asteroids at each other, summoning giant mutant monsters to blow up planets, and eventually destroying whole suns. Suck it, the Death Star. Uh, On the ruin of New Genesis, Isaiah is having a serious emo moment. He's wandering around, mourning for all the dead, and wondering what he can do to save the cosmos from the war he started. Then, a blast of energy appears, and from it, appears a wall. And on the wall, a hand writes, The Source. The hand is, The Unifriend. And it is Isaiah's first experience as High Father of New Genesis. Unifriend sounds like code for something. But anyway, uh, it the, really does. <laughs> uh, the captions tell us that messages are now passing between Eugenesis and Apocalypse. And we see Darkseid, now ruler of Apocalypse, having guards drag away uh, Tigra, the wife his now apparently dead mother arranged for him, telling her he will do with their child what he will. Granny Goodness enters the room, carrying a sleeping and sedated child, the son of Highfather. Darkseid orders her to take him to her orphanage and double the usual rigors she would put on an orphan there. Darkseid knows that one day, the child Granny has dubbed Scott Free will escape, and with the pact broken at a time of his convenience, Darkseid will have his war again. On New Genesis, the soldiers that were waiting to take Darkseid's son are thrown about the room, the child having beaten them back. He heads to find the father he has never known, and we see a knife-wielding tween Orion, uh, coming this fall to Disney Channel, confront High Father. He lunges at High Father, screaming about how High Father must hate him. But the patriarch of New Genesis says there is no hate here any longer. High Father offers the boy his hand, and Orion drops the knife and follows High Father outside to see New Genesis for the first time. Then, in a two-page backup story, we see Viking the Black. Yeah, I'm not terribly comfortable with that name either, but, you know, you go with what you got in the 70s. Um, who's one of the forever people, uh, sent by Stanga, this short guy who dresses like David the Gnome, uh, into tunnels beneath New Genesis to use his power to trace and reconstruct atomic patterns to stop a monster that's in the tunnels. Viking drives the creature away, and we see that directly above where the fight took place, the children of Genesis play, not knowing they have been saved. So, so that's that's the issue, and uh, you know, for a pilot episode, uh, obviously there's there's you know some backstory, a little bit more uh, explanation before we uh, carry forward. So this is this wasn't the the first story in Kirby's Fourth Wheel World, but this is kind of a pause seven issues into New Gods to explain the backstory of everything that had come before it and and just you know if you're not familiar with the concept basically uh when jack kirby left marvel in 1970 he went to dc and dc made a huge deal about it they ran these big ads in their books it said kirby is coming because you know if the number one artist in comics is defecting to the distinguished competition yeah y'all go make some noise 
you know, you might notice DC did the same thing just two years ago when Bendis uh, arrived to give Superman his underpants back. Um, but the fourth world was Kirby's big sort of cosmic space opera opus. And it's also kind of where he ended up unloading a lot of ideas he didn't get to use when he was at Marvel for things he wanted to do with with Asgard, with Thor and, and, and all that. I mean, he actually wanted to do the Ragnarok story. And, uh, you know, I, of course, I'm not remembering the specifics at that, t- at that time. Go read Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure they weren't cool with killing off uh, Thor uh, at the time, though they would be, you know, obviously four decades later. Uh, but he starts by destroying two worlds. And the new gods are what arise out of that. So there's two, these two constantly warring planets, uh, new Genesis and apocalypse. They fight and bite, they fight and bite and bite. Uh, and yeah, it's, it, it actually, it's largely self-contained initially, uh, discounting the fact that it all actually started in Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, uh, before any number ones, uh, and also there was a guest appearance by Don Rickles. <laughs> it, it's, that's a wacky issue. Um, there were three fourth world titles, not counting Jimmy Olsen. Uh, New Gods, which focused mostly on Orion, the son of Darkseid raised on New Genesis, who is fated to kill his father. Uh, Mr. Miracle which focused on Scott Free, the son of High Father, raised on Apocalypse, who fled to Earth, became an escape artist, and hung out with uh, a little person named Oberon and his kick-ass girlfriend, eventually wife, Big Barda, and the Forever People, about five hippies? I guess they, they were sort of Kirby's view of the counterculture, um from New Genesis hanging out on Earth and having wacky adventures. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and all of these uh, have been collected in trade uh, as individual series. There's also a, and I'm looking at it right now, uh, Jack Kirby, Fourth World, beautiful, giant, hardcover omnibus with Barda on the spine. Uh, you know, uh, again, here's that broken refrain, uh, if your local comic shop is selling gift cards online, uh, buy you know, buy one online, and you know, win, win hopefully win. Not if your store opens back up, you can get these books uh, through them. But uh, who are, who are some of the major players that you know, specifically in this issue we're, we're talking about tonight? Well, the I mean. The biggest one, the one that probably most people out there who might not be familiar with the fourth world would still know is Darkseid. I mean, Darkseid is the the DC Universe's biggest bad. He is the god of evil. He's this craggy-looking guy who Thanos is a loving tribute to. Um, he is the ruler of Apocalypse he is gray, rock-skinned with a blue outfit, and fires the Omega effect from his eyes. These beams that cannot 
miss and will kill you or resurrect you or throw you through time or do all sorts of crazy stuff too. Um, his opposite number in this issue, he's addressed mostly as Isaiah, the inheritor, but he is known throughout most of the series as high father, who is the Lord of new Genesis, who there is the sort of, you know, white bearded, he looks like your typical wise man, wizard figure. He has a magical shepherd's crook, and he sees the the, the source, the this energy field that is sort of the the basis of all life and energy and power. Writing on a, writing messages on a wall to him. Is it, it's a little bit of a uh, of an Abraham thing going with him too, considering he basically you know sacrifices his. Uh, you know, son and all that very, very new Testament prophet type stuff. Absolutely. Um, then we see the sons of the pact, uh, Orion and Scott free. Uh, Orion is, is an example of nature versus nurture really strongly in this, because as he appears at the end of this issue, he is this sort of feral child but the issues leading up to this in New Gods, we see him much more controlled, or at least trying to be controlled, trying to hold that rage in check. And the mother box, which we didn't talk about in this issue because one really doesn't appear, but it's this sort of sentient computer that the New Gods carry around with them uh, helps keep that rage in check. And meanwhile, the, his opposite is Scott Free, who is better known as Mr. Miracle, who is this sort of freewheeling, happy-go-lucky guy that not even Apocalypse could wring that out of. Um, and th those are probably the four main figures, but there are a few other characters who appear in here in smaller roles who become more important characters. I, I mean, Steppenwolf is a smaller, he's a big character in this story who I think, and I'll explain a little more later when we get to some stuff about Steppenwolf is always a bigger deal in my head than he actually is. He's one of those characters that's like, Oh yeah, Steppenwolf, he's Darkseid's uncle. And it's like, Oh yeah, Steppenwolf, he's just kind of there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we also briefly uh, hear about Desaad, who is Darkseid's court torturer and often sort of right-hand man. Um, kind of this cackling madman figure who really just gets off on other people's suffering. Uh, the The for many of our fans who are more X people, sort of the dark beast to Dark Side's apocalypse. Um, Granny Goodness, who is also a character who is pretty well known, the the matron of the orphanages of Apocalypse. Um, she controls the female Furies, the the elite female warriors of Apocalypse. Um, and is often um, 
when portrayed outside of the comic book medium falls into the British pantomime trope of the dame uh, and usually older female character played or voiced by a man. Uh, she was voiced by Ed Asner in Superman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. And the final major character of the saga who does appear in this story is Metron. Metron is, um, f- using a D&D analogy, uh, true neutral in alignment. He is not interested in the war between Apocalypse and New Genesis. He is all about science for, for science's sake. Uh, definitely, definitely. And, you know, this was kind of in, in, in cobbling together the script for this episode, it occurs to me that Metron, though he is of New Genesis, you know, he's, he's constantly kind of playing one side off the other. And, and speaking of X-Men analogs, I very much see him as the Hank McCoy, uh, of the fourth world, you know, in love with science, uh, and, constantly making these morally great choices that, you know, betray his people. Oh yeah. Metron is, he's not a great guy. He's not a bad guy necessarily. And he usually sort of comes down on the side of new Genesis. If push comes to shove, but only after he has been sort of forced into a moral corner and there's no way out of it. Uh, I mean, he is the, the origin of the Mobius chair, which has passed from user to user in the DC universe lately and is currently attached to Wally West. And I, I'm really hoping that in a year or two, that's a really dated, strange reference that most people go, huh? Wally West was in the Mobius chair. What the hell is that all about? Because yeah, it's not good guys just leave wally alone just leave wally west alone i mean listen the entire universe is on pause for an indeterminate amount of time they could just bugs bunny that shit and erase it and you know bring back whatever version of wally west they want when the cosmic unpause button is pressed please do that i really 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 want that there's very little I ask for from this industry. I just want Wally West to be happy. <laughs> it's all. Um, but 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. Metron is. I mean, he's a fascinating character, and that sort of moral ambiguity that he exists in is part of what makes him interesting. Because for a character created in the '70s, that wasn't necessarily a thing. You had superheroes and you had supervillains. You really didn't have the moral gray yet. I mean, and Metron's not even an anti-hero. He's just sort of a dude who does his own thing. He's he's amoral as opposed to immoral. Yes, he is absolutely amoral. And, I mean, so much of the the new gods tech is stuff created by metron i mean the, the we make it clear that the boom tubes are his creation i'm pretty sure mother boxes come from his tech as well 
and he's just sort of always there as part of the new god's architecture. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um you know, I was, I was thinking about the, the, the book opens with Isaiah and, and Avia having a lovely picnic. And she says to him, you know, I've never heard you sing. You know, clearly the man she's in love with is this, you know, warrior king, uh, you know. But I was kind of hoping there'd be some payoff to that. Like he would sing later on i mean he definitely wails uh my, my man really like <laughs> he's got a his he's got a soliloquy that's basically just like a ronnie james dio song but he's not really singing <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know grant morrison loves his music in comics i mean there's the whole end of final crisis where superman singing sings the universe back into place so you kind of wonder if there's a little reference to Kirby in there in that bit as well, since Morrison does love to pick up riffs of other creators in his DC work, especially Kirby riffs and run with them. Hmm. I've not thought about that. Yeah. It, it just sort of occurred to me. <laughs> um, another thing I noticed was that, okay, so Steppenwolf leads this raiding party. They kill Avia, knock out Isaiah and they're like, uh, he's dead. We don't need to check. I, I know he's dead. Come on. Let's just go hang out around this fire. Um, I'll put my fur on. Uh, a, a little person will pour me a drink. And we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that Steppenwolf is not the brain trust of Apocalypse. Th this guy is like the hunter. And Darkseid... I kind of feel like Darkseid picked him to be the one to be like, hey, Unc, why don't we go to, to New Genesis and, you know, go on a hunt? Mostly because Darkseid figured he could play Steppenwolf like uh, ukulele. I, I, I just have the image of Darkseid playing the ukulele like Tiny Tim. That's why I went with that <laughs> instrument. Um because, I mean, he, he, yes, Darkseid is probably more of a death metal guy with an electric guitar, but that's that's why I want him playing the uke, because it works against expectation. No, no, excuse me, the accordion. Darkseid plays the accordion because Weird Al voices him on Teen Titans Go. I knew that's where you were going. I <laughs> but, but just thinking of interesting juxtapositions with the ukulele, uh, the other day I was watching a, a YouTube video of Jordan White, the X-Men uh, senior editor at Marvel. He does, like, he's done a ton of ukulele covers, so that that in itself is not odd, but the, the particular cover that I was watching was, uh, are you familiar with the bad lip-reading Star Wars videos? Of course. Okay. Seagulls. It's not seagulls. It's Bushes of Love, and it's, it's, it's excellent. It's, like, moody and atmospheric, and it's on a ukulele. And I shouted him out on a, on Twitter the other day, and uh, I guess I'm doing it again here. <laughs> this I must see. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, but yeah, so Steppenwolf needs to check for a pulse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really just—it's a lesson that he should have learned, and maybe learned after he came back from the dead at some point or another. Yeah, 
but you know, I mean, theoretically, he was he was created and intended to be a one-off character. So, you know, of course, he would be that dumb. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's surprising that he's in green because he should have just been wearing a red shirt. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. But you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier on about how the fourth world initially again the jimmy olsen comics notwithstanding is largely a self-contained world it's very much you know in and of itself and and building this this rich fascinating internal life and that got me to thinking today you know jack kirby was god bless him he was he was such a workhorse um you know but he he jumped from one work for hire situation that that kind of did him dirty especially toward the end to to another work for hire situation what if in in an alternate timeline in 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 an earth 2 uh kirby had done what lee Liefeld and mcfarland did 20 years later what if, what if he ended up forming you know the proto image comics and took this with him you know what i mean like like think about how powerful a statement that would have been yeah I mean, it's interesting because he came up in the same studio as Will Eisner, mm-hmm. yeah. who had always sort of avoided that big two scenario. And I mean, Eisner eventually starts working with you know underground comics people like Dennis Kitchen to get you know a contract with God and stuff out there. But could you imagine if Kirby had gone to Eisner and be like, "Hey, Will." Why don't we try to do our own thing away from Marvel and DC? You want to do these graphic novels, and I have this crazy fourth world thing that I want to do. Could you imagine a publishing line based around the new gods and a contract with God? That that would be amazing. You'd have almost sort of like the the bombast of early image, the style of early image with sort of the gravitas of, you know, a, a Fantagraphics or a Drawn and Quarterly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it would have set an example for what creators can do now with coming up with a story and giving it a beginning, middle, and end and publishing it all in the 70s. I mean, I, the, we all know the issue that would have kept all this from happening was distribution. Yeah. Because at that point, it was mostly newsstand distribution, and a company like this probably couldn't have gotten it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if wishes were horses and all that, we, we, we can speculate. It, it would have been a really fascinating thing to see what Kirby could have done without having to to bow to not necessarily editorial but i mean it was editorial to a degree because it was like okay these aren't selling as well so we want you to do a horror comic and so we got the demon Mm -hmm. or we want you to do something else and we got i mean omak and Kamandi, which i mean hey those are great comics all around don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the, the king is the king for a reason. But New, Ge- but New Genesis and Apocalypse never got the proper wrap-up until years later. 
And even then, the Hunger Dogs graphic novel that sort of wraps it up is sort of rushed. It's not, you know, the, the whole planned out ending. And it's not to say that other creators haven't done interesting things with the new gods. There have been some great new god stories. Um, Simonson's Orion, Starlin and Mignola's Cosmic Odyssey, a lot of the trippy stuff Morrison has done, King and Jared's Mr. Miracle. But I always feel like for every one really good story with the new gods set within the DC universe, there are three that are just kind of like, okay, you're just sort of making these characters super villains from the characters from apocalypse generic super villains. And they're meant to have more grandiosity than that. And uh, playing, yeah, playing Scott and Barda in domestic situations is a common thing, but it's supposed to be this sort of quirky, you know, gods in a mortal situation thing versus oh that's you know mr miracle and big barda doing whatever you you have to balance the grand with the mundane in those cases and i think often it falls more on the side of the mundane for getting the grand there's a um like the, i think i want to say it's like mid to late 80s there was a mr miracle series uh largely jm Mattis. Uh, this this was around the like the Justice League International period that definitely plays like a suburban suburban sitcom with Scott and Barda and it's it, it doesn't you know it it definitely you know Kirby the Kirby Mister Miracle series is all grandiosity and then King Garrett's has the 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 gravitas but it, it also relies a lot on the mundane and also the sort of the ridiculousness of putting the female Furies in a hospital waiting room. Or, you know, veggie trays. And I think this one just strikes... It's 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 an odd balance, but it also trends toward, like, something you'd see on ABC at 8.30 at night at, at that time. It, it, there, there's a great JLI, I think it was still JLI at that point, because it was, it was Justice League, then it was Justice League International, and then it split into Justice League America and Justice League Europe. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this was Justice League International Annual 2, where um, the Joker is hired by the dictator of Bialya to take out the Justice League, and Barda and Scott are having a picnic uh, uh, a cookout in their backyard and there's this whole shtick with him not knowing how to roast weenies and the joker shows up in a tank <laughs> and barda and uh sean jones just s- destroy the tank and it, it's it's a very much a jli issue beetle and booster were doing one of their get rich quick schemes they were working as superpowered repo man and they were supposed to repossess the tank uh and, and the the best moment in the issue aside from barda getting really annoyed at the joker ruining her everyday uh cookout is in the end batman drives up sees the smash tank sees the justice league sees the joker and just keeps driving 
He's just like, no. <laughs> and the Joker just starts chasing him, begging, you know, come back, my knight in not-so-shining armor. Just it, it, It's very much in that JLI vibe. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great issue. Uh, here, here's another random thought question: Do you think He Man ripped off the New Gods? No doubt in my mind. I, I, I'm pretty. Sh- I I know there. Brian Cronin once did a comic book Urban Legends revealed, um, where. It was the answer to that. This particular question was false. Whether or not the He-Man movie script was originally a New God script that was retooled, hmm. but I'm. It's been a year since I read that, and I have a feeling like there is definitely something he says in there where there was a definite influence of the New Gods on. Uh, Masters of the Universe, up to and including there's, I remember this dude who, he only appeared in one or two episodes of the cartoon, and I think I only remember him because he just showed up in the He-Man Masters of the Multiverse miniseries that Tim Seeley is doing now, Mm -hmm. uh, called Zodak, who was this sort of cosmic avatar of of balance, neither good nor evil, and he rode around on a giant flying chair. Oh boy! So it's 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 Metron. It's really <laughs> flat out Metron. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a a share. I mean, the 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 Battle Cat versus the uh, the War Dogs, and I mean, He Man is not as irritable as Orion, but there's still that. And I mean, He Man is constantly fighting a family member i mean skeletor is not his father skeletor is his uncle but still there's... wait is that is that is that true oh yeah yeah keldor the pre skeletor skeletor is brother of randor they never dealt with it in the the he-man cartoon the original cartoon because you know they were too busy giving morals but they talked about it in the little mini comics that came with the figures they didn't expressly say it they like they they hinted at it strongly and the 2002 reboot cartoon flat out says it in the pilot and uh it was it's been said in various modern iterations of the comic as well okay well i learned something today yeah there you go that we need that the the more you know star right now Yeah, no, definitely. You you mentioned the war dogs, and I think I mistook some of them for tigers. And then I started thinking about Battle Cat, and then I started thinking about uh, uh, Ronnie James Dio's Holy Diver, because then there's that one line that's like, "Ride the tiger, you can see his stripes, but you know they're clean." Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Holy Diver just makes me think of Venture Brothers. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh man. So this is this is an issue. Getting back to the pact. Uh, this is an issue that's obviously backstory for an entire universe. And the interesting thing about it is that there's a lot of backstory within the backstory that we still aren't shown. Like, Hegra is killed off panel. Uh, you know, we know that Scott Free exists because we, you know, it, well, 
theoretically, it's the 1970s, and we've been reading these books, man. Uh, and, you know, Mr. Miracle is happening at the same time. But there's no, again, this goes back to the beginning of the issue when, when uh, Avia is telling Isaiah, you know, I never hear you sing. Well, here's another thing that you never do. Like, they don't mention having a son until the actual pact comes up, which is about like one, two thirds of the way into the actual story. Like there's no like, oh, my son Orion would never or, you know, uh, I'm, it's such a nice day to have a picnic. Uh, I'm so glad that our nanny is taking care of our son, Scott. For, well, I guess they don't. He doesn't get named until later. But more to the point, it's like the sons just sort of show up uh, at the end. Oh, yeah, and there's all sorts of other stuff. I mean, Darkseid has another kid, uh, Calabac, mm-hmm. who is not discussed at all, and we but don't... But does, like, ha- did appear in earlier ver- issues of that comic, so... Oh, yeah, Calabac yeah. had already appeared by this point, so there, there's that. There's a lot of stuff that Kirby just kind of didn't talk about. I mean, Hegra is queen of... Uh, apocalypse and there's no mention of you know Darkseid's dad who's a character that eventually is created but I think is kind of created in the 80s when DC you know starts creating their own new gods comics and is never a isn't a Kirby creation and uh, yeah it, it's an interesting little bit of backstory that I'm not 100% sure Kirby himself expected to spend a lot of time dealing with a lot of these other elements that he just told the story because he needed to, you know, answer a couple of questions to set up some future stories. And the rest of it was kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. Well, the interesting thing in terms of Hegra's death, um, if you read Cecil Castellucci and Adriana Mello's uh, Female Fury series from just last year, they actually flash back and show how she was killed and like the whole, the events surrounding Hegra's death, uh, which was interesting uh, in the first issue of that. Uh, and then as far as Darkseid's dad's concerned, uh, I don't know why I think this now, but my headcanon is that Darkseid's dad is Donkey Dog from The Good Place. <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. Oh, not that our audience particularly cares, but uh, Amber and I just finished Good Place season three last night and are getting ready to start season four. But we need a day or two to just, you know, ooh, after that season three finale, because. Yeah, you're going to be like that in the season four finale, too. Just 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 FYI. <laughs> oh, kind of figured. Kind of figured. Times Jeremy Barramy. Oh, it it really is, and right now we are just winding around that Jeremy Barramy. Are we ever? Yep. Ah, that is but true. yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Sorry, there's there's a lot of new gods backstory that gets filled in, and in my own head, I can never remember how much of it is Kirby, and how much of it is later creators sort of filling in details that they were interested in filling in. It's like the, um, the flashbacks on community that weren't really, you know, the, the, the fake clip show episodes. Yes. 
Yes. Like, stuff like uh, the Infinity Man that the the Forever People summon. Yeah, that's Darkseid's brother, apparently. And again, pretty sure that's not Kirby. Pretty sure that was just something that somebody wanted to do to make the Infinity Man a little less of a, a dull deus ex machina sort of character. Wait, is that like how Team America we're, we're able to summon like a sixth motorcycle guy? Yeah, pretty much. They, they or Captain Planet, except now it's Darkseid's brother who Darkseid betrayed and tricked or something like that. It, it's yeah, it, it's a thing, but I'm pretty sure not a Kirby thing. I'm pretty sure it's a somebody else thing. The, the new the fourth world the new gods if you're a fan of glorious comics nonsense you you come to the right place yeah because the the, the original 70s stuff is big and bombastic i mean i when i was working on that the the synopsis stuff i i couldn't resist working in things like you know the unifriend and killing gloves and de-energizing bomb because Kirby just squeezes in so much bombast. It, it's interesting to read Kirby on his own because it's it's you can see how much plot he brought to the Marvel stuff, but as chatty as Stan was and stan was a wordy writer as was the custom of the time stan and and stan also loved his bombast stan brought a level of humanity i suppose yeah yeah no that's that's definitely for it it's partly that and it's partly like hey look i'm hip with the kids yes yes kirby when Kirby tried to be hip with the kids, you got the forever people who are who we will talk about in a future episode, but they are a whole bunch of weird hippie archetypes and a cowboy. Because <laughs> one of them's a cowboy. Listen, it was the seventies uh I don't know trucker culture i got nothing i got nothing i don't know where i was going with that (laughs) yeah but it's i mean this is really fascinating stuff and if when we continue with this particular thread of podcast you'll see the, the world kirby builds and all of these great mythological great i mean great both in you know great as in that's cool and great as in huge mythological themes that he plays with throughout i mean the first the the beginning of the pact there is actually a reference to you know the the world of new genesis was formed from the the energy of balder Mm -hmm. so there is flat out a reference to norse mythology right there because as much as marvel wants you can't copyright mythology Uh, absolutely Uh. so now we're going to move into the next segment of this show which is going to be a character spotlight for a character who either first appeared 
or was really the focal point of an issue. Um, and this time we're going to start with uh, Steppenwolf because this was his first appearance in the the saga of the New Gods. Now, you might think that because Steppenwolf was in the Justice League movie that he's a big deal, uh, but he really only appears in this flashback issue within the, you know, what's kind of considered the, um, let's call it the New Gods Old Testament. <laughs> uh, you know, the original New Gods Run Forever People, Mr. Miracle, uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, guest starring Don Rickles, uh, because High Father kills him. In this issue, where he first appeared, yeah, but but he comes back later in the Superpowers action figure line tie-in comics uh, that Kirby either wrote or drew or both, depending on which of the three volumes of that series you're reading. Um, and he resurrected him uh, because either he forgot he killed him or just sort of didn't care. Because he had an action figure. Um, it was revealed in the Who's Who entry for Steppenwolf that there was apocalyptic technology that resurrected him. And uh, cool fact, Kirby drew most of, if not all of, the Who's Who entries in the original Who's Who for the characters he created. Uh, I know that there is a, a deep affection for the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, the original one. And it's cool um, because you had, you know, these characters, every character in this sort of front-on facing pose. But those who's who's, the artists they got to draw the various who's who entries, seriously, you can find most of them in dollar bins. And holy crap, the artists they got were a murderer's row of the great creators of the... Uh, the Bronze Age. Really impressive. Uh, but going, getting back to Steppenwolf, because he's, he's the character we're focusing on here, because it's character spotlight, um, he is usually in and amongst Darkseid's elite uh, in all of the post-crisis, post-Flashpoint stuff. Um, but he's really never that big a deal. He's just sort of, you know, generic general guy. Um, I mean, in the run-up to the final crisis, when the dark gods of Apocalypse are in human bodies and running the Dark Side Club, uh, he gets killed for points by Clock King. Clock King. Not a point in your resume. Just, just no. He has appeared across the DCAU, uh, voiced by a, a few different actors, which shows you just how kind of unimportant he is. Um, he's usually just random dark god um, and never really got the focus or spotlight that Darkseid or Calabac did. His best animated appearance is in the short-lived 15-minute animated series Justice League Action um, in an episode called Under a Red Sun, where he teleports Superman to a world with a red sun uh, where Superman doesn't have powers to hunt him, and Superman has to use his mind to defeat him in a, a an episode that feels like that episode of Star Trek where Captain Kirk fights the big lizard guy. Um, only here it's Superman as Captain Kirk and Steppenwolf as the big lizard guy. Uh, it's a cool episode, and you should watch Justice League Action, uh, which is streaming on Hulu, since Cartoon Network put it on at 6.30 in the morning on Saturdays and no one watched it. Um, yeah, 
What's it? What's it doing on Hulu? There's an app for that. Yeah, I there's think there's a whole might... DC Universe app for that. Yeah, I think it might be on there too. But I think it was one of those cases of, in the same way that Solo is still on Netflix because Disney slash whoever signed a deal with Netflix to put it on there before they had Disney Plus. Nah, okay. It's probably a rights thing. Um, the thing, the reason that I think Steppenwolf is a bigger deal in my head than he actually is, is because he had an action figure in the Superpowers line, which is why he was in those comics that Kirby created. Um, and he was redesigned, as were all the characters, the New Gods characters in that line, because Jeanette Kahn and Paul Levitz wanted Kirby to get some royalties. And by redesigning the characters, he'd get toy money. It's a cool way that those two were able to help Kirby while working around their corporate masters. Um, Steppenwolf was specifically the first mail-away exclusive for that toy line, where you sent in you know, proofs of purchase and got another action figure. Remember those folks? Because, yeah, I do, and I'm old. I had... Okay, so I did mail-away for G.I. Joe's. And I got the William Refrigerator Perry uh, G.I. Joe action figure through that. Uh, the Chicago Bears actual real-life Super Bowl shuffle and football player yes. had his own Joe, and I had him. <laughs> yep, I, I had Steppenwolf, and I had Clark Kent. They were the two exclusives from the Superpowers line, and I had them both. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 you know, you, you kids don't know what you're missing. <laughs> I mean, Chase Variant Funko Pops. Uh, yeah, I guess there's those. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have to collect through some purchase. You could stumble upon the pink lion cat at a Walgreens. Or however that works. I don't know where that one <laughs> was. But <laughs> you you could get in line for a lottery at New York Comic Con. There you go. That's, there you that's go. probably more accurate. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds about right. Um. Well, I don't know if you can do that this year. Uh, all right, quickly moving on, quickly moving on. Uh, now it is time for our as-yet-untitled segment where we talk about specific stuff that we liked. <laughs> we couldn't come up with a name for it. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. Yeah. Uh, individual categories, though. Uh, so this first one is, what's the raddest? Uh, Jack Kirby draws a lot of cool stuff, but what's the raddest thing he drew in this issue? Uh, for my money, it was tanks that look like dragons that breathe fire. Uh, this is on the uppermost panel of page 12. Uh, they look like something out of the world's coolest monster truck rally. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! Watch Gravedigger take on a fleet of apocalyptic dragon tanks while he jumps 100 nitro-burning funny cars. You'll pay for a whole seat, but you only need the edge. <laughs> Truckosaurus! Absolutely. Um, for me, it would be the dog cavalry. Uh, I mean, everyone who listens to our show on the regular, they know that I'm a cat person. But man, when Seven Wolves comes riding into battle on a giant dog, that's something else. Uh, that That is approved by the show's resident dog person. Me. <laughs> Uh, all right, next category is who wore it best? Uh, whose costume was your favorite? Uh, mine is Steppenwolf's because his hat is ridiculous. 
Uh, it's basically, he's got like this green, God, I don't even know how to describe the shape. It's, it's not quite, it's somewhere between a cylinder and a pyramid. We'll put it that way. You know, it's, it's like this, this stovetop thing sitting on there, but without a brim. Uh, what's he hiding under there? Is that all his head? Is his head come to a, almost a point? Is it a tiny man? Because it wouldn't be the first time Kirby drew a tiny man hiding somewhere. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mr. One, the tiny telepathic mutant that lived in a pocket watch from that one cap annual where he fights Magneto's dollar store Brotherhood of Mutants. Um, Oh, I remember. Yes. Yeah, never forget. Uh, Also, at one point on uh, page five, there's this panel where he's rocking a dope fur that makes him look like a 70s pimp. Yeah, for me, uh, it's Isaiah the Inheritor's red and orange war armor from page 15. Uh, I'm so used to seeing Isaiah in his high father, you know, robes and a shepherd's crook, that it's kind of cool to see him in this different outfit, especially one of those classic Kirby suits of armors with all the detail. It's interesting, when the New 52 started and Jim Lee added all those armor detail lines to the Justice League, everybody complained, and kind of rightly so. But Kirby adds those lines? I'm all about it. Bonus points for being red, the complementary color to Steppenwolf's green, making their fight both pop and be oddly Christmassy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> he does look kind of like Santa. <laughs> Once he gets all high fathery, he, he, I could see him giving you know toys to the children of New Genesis. Yeah, or, or trading those children off to Apocalypse. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next, the crackliest panel. Uh, what is the one panel in this issue that you think about when you think about Jack Kirby? Uh, I cheated uh, and went with the two-page spread on uh, page, pages six and seven of uh, New Genesis Warrior strafing Apocalypse. Uh, there's no major characters in it, but it's just full of that Kirby energy. The, uh, the crackle, the weird tech, the celestial-looking armor, the gnarled faces with giant teeth and beady eyes and the caption box with its cosmic operatic text ending in the large print of the issue's title, The Pact. Uh, it's a bedroom poster waiting to happen. Uh, actually, with all the green and the purple and the orange, make a pretty cool blacklight poster. Well, since you cheated with a two-page spread, I'm going to cheat and pick two. I-, I think as we go forward, we're probably going to wind up going down that same route as many other podcasts have and having tiered ones because it's hard to pick just one. Um, my first is page 14, which is, it's kind of an odd page because it's a splash in the middle of the issue that focuses on this random new Genesis soldier with a gun arm shooting off panel and him and his buddy talking about how Isaiah has ordered them to let Steppenwolf through the lines so Isaiah can fight him. Um, it, it could have been a, a small panel on another page, but Kirby chooses to make it an epic moment and it works. Still, though, the, the energy blast firing off that, you know, splash page makes me think that it could have been a two-page spread and we're supposed to see where those energy beams are going instead of they're just sort of going off into space. Um, but the other panel is the, the top panel of page five. This is Darkseid taking off his killing glove, which is super <laughs> Kirby. While Steppenwolf is getting a drink poured to him by a little servant guy and rocking the fur coat that seemingly appeared out of nowhere, looking like Putty in that episode of Seinfeld with the fur coat. It's it's really surreal for, for post-combat, especially with the corpses of your enemies 
you think at least cooling at your feet that they're taking a break to you know have a drink as if they're you know on a royal hunt instead of entering enemy territory and killing important people but you know hey that's you know how they roll on apocalypse i guess you you, you need mead when you need mead <laughs> true uh all right next category is most dramatic line what lo- what one line is the soapiest most dramatic line in this comic and uh we we will each deliver these lines in our most dramatic voice uh so mine uh comes from high father's monologue on page 19 uh, when he's finally having his come-to-Jesus moment and rejecting the weapons of war. I tear off my armor! I reject this war staff as a weapon! I reject the way of war! Darkseid's game is not mine! Where is Isaiah? Where is Isaiah? Isaiah! He's kind of, he's kind of yelling it like um, Catherine O'Hara in Home Alone looking for Kevin, except he's looking for himself. Uh... And then this giant white wall appears and he learns about the source and it's all very the Bible meets 2001. <laughs> Meanwhile, I, I have to go with Metron and Isaiah on page 16. Isaiah is giving Metron shit about helping Apocalypse and Metron's doing his whole I'm all about the science bro thing. And then Metron finally sort of gets pissy. And it's weird because Metron is usually, you know, really even in tone. But I kind of picture him here kind of like, dark side, how I want him destroyed. And yet he lives, he climbs step by step. By intrigue, he got war. By war, he got power. By power, he got Steppenwolf. And Isaiah replies, I've always known it. The real enemy was obscure and humble dark side. Okay, two things here, Isaiah, buddy. Uh, one, if you knew it all along, why didn't you go after dark side sooner? And two, while I can kind of accept obscure, I don't think anyone has ever thought of dark side as humble. I, I guess the whole the whole you know there there's that whole sort of narrative where Steppenwolf and Darkseid are bickering and clearly Steppenwolf's been like the 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 field general for Apocalypse all this time and Darkseid is this sort of been this like cunning uh, tinkerer working in the background you know not necessarily the lead player that obviously he's presented as as in the rest of the series but still yeah. Yeah, still, I, I, Isaiah has a lot to learn about a whole bunch of things at this point. Yeah, but, I mean, hey, our high fathers are high and perfect. Or, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, well, we have had a lot of fun, but uh, that is it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ Presents on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ Presents and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt, uh, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic book in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, 
Scott Modrzinski from MojoWorks.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's recently debuted Spider-Woman series, and Saren. Uh, you can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. And me at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And remember, if this is anybody but tighten up the defense, unpacking the power of Power Pack, Thor the Lightning in the Storm, or Chris's on Infinite Earths, you're stealing our bit! Does this sound like you? If you're feeling tired all the time, moody, sleepy, or even constipated and waning gait, buildup of waste, metallic taste in the mouth, or ammonia breath, nausea and vomiting, loss of appetite, not wanting to eat meat or other strong flavors, difficulty concentrating, feeling itchy, and feeling fatigue. Headaches, dizziness, blurry vision, chest pain, palpitations, is when your heart beats really strangely, or shortness of breath. Making more or less urine than usual. Making urine that is foamy or bubbly. Feeling excess pressure when urinating. Changes in the overall color and appearance of the urine. And blood in the urine, which is usually only detected through a microscope. Hi, I'm Will Nevin, and I'm a doctor. So trust me when I say, if that sounds like you, then you need to go to WMQComics.com. Get yourself checked out. WMQComics.com. You'll make just the right amount of urine.